Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome, everybody, to the Take Human Action podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jamie Martin, co-host Autumn, and we have our guest here, uh, Irene Mavrakakis. We're looking forward to a very good show tonight. Um, So a little bit about Irene. She is a uh, roughly 30-year veteran into the industry of the medical field, um, two decades in private practice, intervention medicine and a pain management specialist. She has completed a fellowship in pain medicine, in New Jersey, Pain Institute, the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey, and the Robert Wood Johnson Medical School in New Brunswick, New Jersey, where she also completed a residency in anesthesia and received her medical degree from New York Medical College of uh, Valhalla, New York. So we have a very credentialed guest here with us today today and uh welcome irene to the podcast well thank you for the intro and thank you so much for having me on i really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show yeah uh i'm very happy to have you here today uh i mean i i'm sure there's a wealth of things that we're going to get into tonight as you can see a little bit of a different banner we have for the backgrounds of this rage against the war machine which we will certainly get to into at some point tonight um and I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, so one of the big questions that I really wanted to start off here tonight with you was, um, you know, obviously being in the medical field and dealing with everything that we've dealt with in the past three to four years, what really have you seen change in the industry? Um, you know, you've been at the forefront of it and uh all through covid and the lockdowns and whatnot and where where has this gone for you well it's super interesting uh what actually happened i'll premise this by anything i say is not intended to be medical advice what happened with covid mania really is an example of the broader problems in this country so covid mania really was a consequence of failed central planning and the problems with pervasive crony capitalism in our public health sector, as well as our medical research sector. As it relates to the medical concepts for COVID mania, there were many problems. Respiratory viruses are known to mutate. That should have never been a surprise. Messenger RNA vaccinations are experimental. In the clinical trials, all the adverse reactions that we're currently seeing today happened. And the problem with the program 
in general has to do with quintessential government interference as it relates to vaccine biologics, which are mRNAs are biologics, not vaccines. And a 1986 law called HR 5546 that removed all product liability from vaccine makers established the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, which is the government's own reporting system to look for safety red flags. It's post-marketing surveillance. And the PREP Act, which was passed related to COVID, which provided product liability for vaccine makers and for doctors and healthcare workers and other entities that administer the vaccine. So there's no balances and checks. And so without having product liability, we remove competition forces. So that's a big part of it. The other big part of it is that vaccinating during a pandemic with an experimental messenger RNA vaccination is questionable science at best. There are thousands of us doctors now calling for the recall of the COVID biologics and vaccines due to serious safety concerns in the vaccine adverse event reporting system. So Irene, you know, one of the things that you said in uh, the earlier part of your response there, you mentioned failed central planning. And I think it's, you know, it's worth pointing out from the libertarian perspective that central planning is, is generally going to result in failure. And uh, is there anything you want to expand on that? Right. So let's talk about, so who actually implemented COVID mania on us? It's interesting. Yeah. So the CDC is something that is just an entity that doesn't actually have any governing authority. And interestingly enough, the CDC is partially funded by the CDC Foundation, which is funded by the pharmaceutical arms. So who instituted the medical procedures of vaccine mandates, coerced or forced masks, which are also a medical intervention. Even the PCR testing is a medical intervention. Even, Even isolation is a medical intervention. Yeah. So there was pervasive forcing and coercion of multiple medical interventions. So who did this to us? Well, the truth is we did. So we, the people accepted it. Businesses, governmental agencies, and politicians and the like, including healthcare workers and doctors, instituted this on us and we complied. And it was, again, back to the central planning failure. And the other problem with this from a medical ethics perspective, which is my focus for the most part, is that the standard of care in modern medicine is informed consent. Informed consent necessitates full disclosure of all risks and benefits of said procedure. The risks and benefits were known in the preclinical trials. No one really provided informed consent as far as I've been led to believe. The heart attacks, myocarditis, neurodegenerative disorders, allergic reactions, all of those were seen. So informed consent necessitates that full disclosure. And it also necessitates the ability for that person to freely decline that procedure without force or coercion and a, without that being led to any interference in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, including their ability to work. And this also 
violates the Helsinki Code of Ethics, the Nuremberg Code, and the Belmont Report. So doctors and healthcare workers and other healthcare entities did not do the due diligence to make it known to themselves that there were risks and adverse events reported to this mRNA vaccine biologic. And the shamefulness of that really is that there is no procedure in modern medicine that doesn't have inherent risks and benefits. It just doesn't exist, which is why we have to have the ability to decline. And right. that is the crime against humanity that occurred. And this should never happen again, which is why I speak out and I do this stuff. And I spent six months learning about other concepts, including Mises and Hayek, so I can explain how this actually was a consequence of failed central planning. So, um, I mean, I, I know that you don't necessarily stand in the field of like immunology or whatever, but like, uh, how has this affected you as a medical professional standing at odds against colleagues, um, you know, inside of your own profession? So it's interesting because I'm an interventional spine and musculoskeletal specialist. I don't treat COVID. I don't give vaccines. So why have I researched all of this? Well, that relates to the fact that in 2012, I had an adverse reaction to a flu vaccine, and I have been researching viruses, immunology, vaccine adjuvants and excipients, and all of this very diligently for 10 years to understand how one shot could make me sick for so long. I was very sick for a very long time. I'm doing much better. I don't want everybody to feel bad for me. I don't take any medicines, and I'm much better. And so that I'm just that type of person to really try to understand why. And that rabbit hole has been profound. And so when this all started, I had concerns from the beginning. And I tried to voice my concerns in the beginning, and I was pretty isolated. And um, I got some warnings, per se. This is March of 2020 we're talking about. Um, so I shut up for a few minutes few months, maybe more than a few minutes, excuse me. And then I formed a group called the Delaware Initiative for Science and Ethics. And that is about 40 or 50 people of healthcare workers and doctors and allied health and some ancillary people and made a discord server. And we started working on what was concerning and what was obviously not right with how the pandemic was being handled from basic scientific premises, you know, and, you know, there was no promotion of vitamin D, which, you know, vitamin D levels above 50 nanograms per milliliter have a significant low rate of morbidity and mortality for viral illnesses, in particular COVID, you know, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are safe and effective and two to 300,000 people would have been saved if that wasn't essentially disregarded and made to be something that was dangerous because it was off-label. The thing about off-label medications is that any new medication or old medication that's used for a new disease is going to be off-label because the indication wasn't obtained at the time that the medication was approved because the disease didn't exist at the time. Just think aspirin is off-label for prevention of heart problems. We use off-label all the time. 
and that was demonized. There's thousands and thousands of studies that demonstrate ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and zinc are safe and effective. Absolutely. And so all of those things were very concerning. So we got together and then I approached the governor of our state of Delaware after a rally and I just simply said to him that I thought he didn't have enough information. This is the summer of 2021, I believe. I'm not sure of the dates anymore. And I asked him if he would meet with a couple of us doctors if we provided just some basic articles and research. And he said, yes, actually. And so we were tasked to prevent, present this fully sourced presentation. And so me and a whole bunch of doctors went and looked at all the research and data, and we created this presentation with 50 plus re references and citations. And the three of us sat in my home on a Zoom meeting over a year ago and presented the data that there were serious warning signals for adverse events and safety. This is over a year ago to the doctors who work at the Department of Public Health in Delaware. And they did listen, they asked for the slides and we never heard back. And then it continued. And I'm glad that we did it. And I used that presentation and added some libertarian concepts and presented at Reno at the National Convention, a breakout session. And then that video is on the internet that goes over all these concepts. So, I'm so incredibly grateful for all those doctors and people who joined my group because then I became not isolated and then I was able to speak out. And for the last year and a half, I pretty much have been very outspoken that there are serious safety signals that the vaccines and biologics for COVID need to be recalled and it needs to immediately stop any administration of these vaccines and biologics. And there's thousands and thousands and thousands of doctors that have been saying this for a very long time. Yeah, I, I remember early on um, when the uh, vaccine technology of mRNA was first getting talked about doing a little bit of, you know, Googling real quick and finding that Pfizer had been trying to find um, cancer treatments using mRNA and that there were just, you know, very open publications, articles about why their their trials had been failing because they found that while there was a little bit of benefit, they had to keep administering the treatment and repeated treatment resulted in worse outcomes due to side effects. Is, is this something that you're familiar with, with this, you know, the way they, they worked with mRNA before trying it with the COVID vaccine? Right. It's never been administered to humans to this degree before. Just think about it. So traditional vaccines are the dead or attenuated virus plus this adjuvant and excipients that are actually the things that cause a lot of the side effects. And messenger RNA is messenger ribonucleic acid that gets injected into you so that you make that spike protein. So they told you to run away, to hide away from grandma, to wear a mask that doesn't work. So you wouldn't get that spike protein so they can inject an experimental substance to make your body make that spike protein with no studies on long-term safety and efficacy with serious warning signals. And not only that, natural immunity is 27 times more protective. And that's been shown over a year or two ago. And we know that natural immunity is safe and protective because when you get naturally exposed to a virus, you make little immune cells against all the different components of it. And 
Omicron was 27 mutations away from the original spike protein. And the idea that we were surprised that there was mutation, it absolutely doesn't make sense how this was handled. Vaccinating during a respiratory virus pandemic also is questionable science. Yeah, yeah, doubting and, and being uncertain about the uh, benefits of natural immunity was, was probably the height of absurdity. Um, that was one of those things that I think a lot of people at face value saw immediately as like, what do you mean you don't know? Right. right. But the danger, the even more horrible, dangerous thing is that they didn't test people for natural immunity before they recommended the vaccine. And apparently Paul Offit is on record saying that there was too much of a bureaucratic problem. You do not vaccinate people who already have natural immunity. It causes havoc on your immune system because you already have immunoglobulins and then you inject stuff to make you make more spike protein and then you get the cytokine storm. And my research I'm currently doing at, a at my current hospital is related to a component of the cytokine storm that's related to allergy. The thing is repetitive injection can make you create IgE or allergy molecules to that antigen. Kind of like when someone gets stung by the bee and they get anaphylactic eventually, some yeah. people will react in that way. And so getting injected with this same antigen can sensitize you to that. And so we're working on a research board approval for research for medications that treat that. Um, one of the things I did want to ask, because I, I did uh, my diligence going through libertyspeaks.world, uh, I see that you host a podcast uh, every Saturday. Now, did that happen because of uh, this? Was that what started that? Were you doing that long before this? How long has that been going? That is really new. I was on a podcast, What in the Cell? which is uh, the same podcast that David Crow was on, the same subcategory of podcasts, excuse me. And the owner of that uh, heard me on that podcast and asked me to start Freedom MD. This is super small. It just started. It's on Huddle Team. They literally are just working on a website, but it's outside the libertarian space, which is my agenda. I spend a lot of time outside the libertarian space, bringing people into these ideas of medical freedom, bodily autonomy, informed consent, and Austrian economics. I would say that a lot of libertarians could do service by being outside of the libertarian community a bit more often. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's a good thing. Um, <laughs> you know, you also mentioned, and I, you know, it's always, we should always consider that it's an, always, an opportunity to educate people when we have these conversations. Um, you mentioned the product liability protection that the vaccine industry has. Um, I actually have a history of working in the vaccine industry. I don't know that we want to get into that, maybe a side conversation. Uh, so I'm actually a little unclear. I did think that they had full protection from immunity for all vaccines. And I've, I've heard conflicting where people said for childhood vaccines, are you able to help to clear that up for us? So if to, to inform people about the, the history of this, that it's not even just a new thing for COVID. Well, the PrEP Act is what covered COVID, right? So HR 5546 mm -hmm. removed product liability from vaccine makers for the childhood vaccination schedule. Okay. 
and established the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System and the Healthcare Compensation Fund, for which $7 billion has been paid out before COVID through federal vaccine court for the injuries that do exist related to vaccine administration. And the issue with that is that according to their own auditing, the Lazarus report, only 1% to 10% of vaccine injuries are even reported because no one reports it because no one knows about it. I didn't learn about this in med school, mm-hmm. right? And for COVID, the PREP Act created the li- the product liability for COVID vaccines, biologics, and for the healthcare workers and the doctors, right? It changes people's behavior when you have governmental interference and you have no consequence to what you're doing. You know, people are really mad at Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson and Johnson, but the data was there, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I'm mad at them too because it's yeah, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we could we could go online and see and see the the um, rates of infection compared to previous years of influenza. If you just had any sort of uh, you know even awareness that that was available and uh, started tinkering around, it it was impressive how much was just out in the open, wasn't it? Oh yeah, of course. And, and, you know, the other horrible crime against humanity is that, according to a Department of Defense study in 2018, flu vaccine increases coronavirus susceptibility by 36%, yet they still promoted it. It's a whole other can of worms that you should not let me go on about because (laughs) I have been screaming that for three years. Wow. That is me. That's the first I've heard that. Yeah, I can send you the study. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling table five raw data yeah yeah and, and correct me if i'm wrong but the the vares data uh, is, is one of those big red flags that like it only really takes up about a percent of like all of the vaccine mm-hmm. industries that ever come forward because they rarely get reported in the first place but at the height of covid uh one of the telltale signs i think was that they shut the entire program down for a short spell um, just to uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if they did not like allow that data to become forward to to major news outlets, uh, I feel like I remember that happening. Um, I don't know if that happened. You know, when you try to analyze data from VAERS, it's very difficult to analyze and to collect. But you know, March of 2022, there was already one point something million adverse reactions. Um, including 30,000 deaths, myocarditis, you know, that was, you know, that's over a year ago almost. And, you know, vaccines have been pulled off the market. The swine flu vaccine was pulled off for, you know, a couple hundred adverse reactions and 50 deaths. So the red flags have been there. And the problem with people trying to discount that is that literally for vaccines and experimental biologics, this is our own monitoring system to sign the red flag. The red flag has been up for a long time. The, the, Biologic and vaccines need to be pulled off the market immediately. Hmm. That's the disconnect. That's the absurdity. That's the crime against humanity. Well, there's a lot of it, but that's a big part of it. Well, to not get too black pilled here, let's uh, let's uh, we have a short <laughs> yeah. bit of time to <clears throat> go on to some of the other projects that you've been working Good. on. And I do know <laughs> that you have um, uh, Liberty Speaks is one of the organizations that you 
you know, uh, I, I believe you founded it, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Or you were a major player in the beginning of Liberty Speaks? How, how did that go? So Liberty Speaks was originally an event, a pre-convention mm -hmm. event for a libertarian convention. And then um, I organized it. It needed to become a private organization because of some inside baseball politics that was going on at the time. And then I made it into an entity. Um, and then Jorge Posada joined and is officially co-founder soon after. Mm -hmm. So I'm a original founder, co-founder with Jorge Posada. Yeah, the, that uh, the the site, as I delve through, it seems to be uh, pretty ambiguous. It tackles a lot of different subjects. It has its own articles. It has a lot of events it supports. So like, um, what, what exactly is it uh, that you try to accomplish with the site? So it just seeks to promote the vital link between liberty, socioeconomic order, and life and prosperity. So as a nonpartisan organization, we seek to work with other organizations, both within and outside the libertarian space, to find issues that we can all agree on and then promote that, organize with people, become sponsors. That's why Rage Against the War Machine was a perfect coalition for Liberty Speaks to become a sponsor of. And Rage Against the War Machine is an event on February 19th at the Lincoln Memorial. And this coalition is absolutely spectacular. So the People's Party plus the Libertarian Party are the two main sponsors and organizers. That's Angela McCardo and Nick Brana. Mm -hmm. And we have many other sponsoring organizations from across the political spectrum. And we all agree that we need to do something about these foreign wars. And it's super interesting because both I'm a sponsor through being the co-founder of Liberty Speaks, but I'm also on the organizing team because I'm a libertarian. I'm a member of the Mises Caucus. I'm Kent County chair of the LPD and things like that. So I'm involved anyway is that it gives me hope for humanity, this coalition, to be perfectly honest with you. And I really want us to be able to together to end the duopoly control on our lives. We can agree on this. And these are just human beings that really just want food, shelter, water, community, love, and to be productive, just like we do. It's just that they disagree with the path to freedom. So, right, as Misesians, we believe that free markets, competition, not crony capitalism, not coercive central planning, not governmental regulations that put a stranglehold on competition is the path to freedom, right? We believe in individualism. You know, we see the concerns of a lot of other libertarians in such overwhelming governmental control in our daily day lives. So this is a wonderful project. The website is rageagainstwar.com. We are working so hard. We have a fundraiser through Give Butter. It's on the website. We even are working on transportation. We're about to launch gear. We have amazing speakers, including Ron Paul through video message. And so many other speakers from across the political spectrum. And I just want people to realize that I hope that this is the beginning of breaking the duopoly into a million pieces, as I say. 
and really us moving forward to really taking back control of our constitutional republic, not through central planning. Right. Yeah. So let's um, take opportunity real quick too to really really highlight because you did mention there's still some funds that we need to raise to make it a successful event. You know, pay attention to that that address is running across the, the bottom of the screen. If you can't go, but I mean I can't imagine you don't have a great feeling about this being a good thing that should happen. Make a tribute, make a financial tribute to it, please. Thanks. So plug it officially there. Yeah. Oh, thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. I think everybody should go. Yes, I'm going. I'm going and I'm working on, on filling a van full of people. So I've still got some seats available. Um, you know, so go to Rage Against War and and look at the opportunities. There's a page where you can click on if you've got uh if you want to hitch a ride with somebody. Right. And I think it's a good idea and for us to realize that we can make friends with people across the political spectrum and we're going to meet all these people that really want the same thing as us. Mm -hmm. And I think that we can take this event and use it to form other coalitions and find a path forward. So I'm incredibly hopeful that this is the beginning of something really, really historic. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, yeah. so, so the idea with this is, uh, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you wanted to turn this into like, uh, a reoccurring sort of event where it wouldn't just be like this one time sort of rally. It was going to be what semi-annual uh, several times, what a year quarterly. No, that hasn't been discussed. What I think I was trying to relate is that the people working on this coalition from all across the spectrum, the group of people, I think we have the potential to form other stands on other ideas in this world and make major change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is a stepping ground for a new alliance. Yeah, for sure. I mean, all like getting these groups together to move in the same direction. There's no reason we shouldn't be collaborating on the, on the things that we agree on. Right. Exactly. Which I think, to be honest with you, we agree on everything. Humans just want to, food, water, shelter thing. We just don't agree on how we get there and the best path forward. But that doesn't mean we should hate each other or argue with each other or not listen to each other. Mm -hmm. So, and that's really the heart behind Liberty Speaks is yeah. to bring all those spaces together. And Liberty Speaks is a recurring, that's your intention for that is, is to have- Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill events there yeah we've had two events mm -hmm. we're not really sure moving forward if we're best as event sponsors there's a sponsorship coming up soon that i think people in the mises space will be very excited about and the rage against the war machine so we haven't decided yet if we're going to do a yearly event or if we're going to really work on some of these other projects which can I tell you about some other projects? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Do you guys remember when um, a Road to Serfdom condensed version 
was put out in 1944. Remember I'll how you know. <laughs> no, okay. No. So now you're gonna see the nerd in me. Okay. So in um, well, you know about the road to surf, right? Mm -hmm. So um Hazlitt wrote this wonderful review in the New York Times book review about it. And then Max Eastman, who was a socialist, through that and other means of getting exposed to the ideas of Mises and Hayek, was working for Reader's Digest. And they put out a condensed version. I believe it's about 40 pages. And I listened to it for the third time before coming on here. So I'm really nerded out about this, okay? And that went out to millions of households. And so we just started a project to try and get it reprinted or re-released. I think I'm on my fourth email. We're down a rabbit hole of trying to get who has the rights because we either want it to just be made available on Amazon or maybe even have Liberty Speaks reprinted. Liberty Speaks has its own little book on the website that's on audio and you can download it for free or you can buy it on Amazon. And it's just a compilation of various ideas of Mises and Hayek and freedom and things like that. Um, and that pretty much was written by Jorge. So I'm the medical freedom medical person, and he's been force feeding me Mises and Hayek for the last six months. So I have better depth of knowledge. So I'm by no means an expert in Mises and Hayek. Um, but uh, I have learned a lot in the last six months, and I'm very grateful for his patience. Because, you know, I start talking about vaccines and immunoglobulins all the time. And people really don't want to hear about that, to be honest. Wow. So that's one of our projects. I hope it works out because, you know, I think if we can just get the whole world to listen to or read A Road to Serfdom Condensed. On our website, we have an audio version of the condensed version of The Road to Serfdom. So you can just listen to it. That's what I do, you know, because I'm driving a lot sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I hope that everybody in the world listens to that and realizes that the path to freedom is by no means through central planning. Can I tell you about one or two more projects? You can tell us about as many projects as you'd like to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Libertarian Party of Delaware, right? <clears throat> we started a project, which was our chair's idea, Bill to do Liberty Story Hour. And you know where that comes from. Yeah. And so we had our first event a few weeks ago at a library up north. I'm in Kent County, the middle part of the state. I'm Kent County chair. Anyway, so we, they all worked really hard and we got a Tuttle's Twins book and we had Liberty Story Hour. And me and Amy Lepore read different parts of a Tuttle Twin book and it was great. And so I'm working with two libraries in Kent County to get Liberty Story Hour and to get Tuttle Twins books in the two libraries down here. And I'm working on it. I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. And then I talked to a middle school principal who I've known for years because my kids grew up here. I've been in this town for 23 years about getting maybe once a month an elective at the high school and the middle school where we come in and talk about Mises and Austrian economics as an elective in the high schools, because mm -hmm. I think that the path to freedom is to find ways to educate our kids. And most of the kids are in public schools and they're being exposed to very concerning 
ideas, in my opinion. And so that's really one of my favorite projects is Liberty Story Hour. And um, that is something that I know I'm going to keep spending time. And I really wish that everybody in all the states with all our Mises people would just start working on Liberty Story Hour in their communities and just get some books. And the libraries were pretty cooperative. They seem to be cooperative. Well, there's a whole backstory, but I'll let some of the other Delaware guys tell us, tell you guys about some funny problems that happened in the beginning. You know, it's funny, Irene, I was already prepared to say, just so you know, I'm totally stealing your Liberty Story Hour idea. <laughs> yeah, no, be better than me. Competition is good. Yeah. Make it better. I like it. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, so, so, oh, the other thing is I am an advisor to the Mike Termat campaign. Because I think Mike Termont is a good candidate. We had him speak in Delaware County. He was a he's a very good speaker. I'll give you that. He's a very interesting guy. Right. I think I look forward to a quintessential libertarian and Misesian process for our pre-convention vetting of our potential libertarian <laughs> candidates for president. And I hope that we get exposure to all of them and that everybody promotes that exposure and that we have a conversation about their qualifications. And even though I am wholeheartedly behind the decentralized project and that local elections are more important and that we really need to get people to run and all of that, I'm totally behind it and I agree and I get it. I think putting forward a candidate or candidates that have the qualification, the demeanor, and the ability to be a really good president. And I really want to look at making sure, and I know we have pre-convention debates, and I also have this project in my head that I haven't even worked on about the debate issue and, you know, really trying to maybe work with this coalition that we have to work on some debates during the general election, since we have all these friends from the other side of the aisle and all the way in between, because we cannot continue to allow the duopoly to control the conversation. So, you know, MikeTermat.com and take a look at him and take a look at the other candidates and let's have a conversation and let's have them all on the podcast. And let's be quintessential libertarians about our selection process. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, we need to uh, we need to open up the floor to a lot of people. Uh, this is what we're doing here. We're trying to. So, <laughs> um, oh man, where do we go from here? I mean, uh, not to kick back to it, but one of the major focuses we were trying to go on in this was the uh, the rage against the war. Um, a lot of the critics that have come out about it um, say that it seems to be, uh, especially when it comes to the Mises Caucus, working with a bunch of communists in an event down in D.C. Do you have anything to speak on about that? Yes, absolutely. I can also talk to you about roads if you want to and how we're going to build them, even though we're libertarians. So let's do that one. Okay, so this is the idea. What unites us is far greater than divides us. 
we have all these co-sponsors and coalition partners in one concept to rage against war, especially foreign wars, and especially all the billions and billions of dollars that the United States puts and the influence of the military industrial complex on our policy and politics, right? So just because we are having this coalition with people across the political spectrum, including socialists and many other things that many other naysayers would like to tell us, it doesn't matter. Because we're forming a coalition with them, not because we agree with all their ideas. Because if we agreed with all of their ideas, they'd be libertarians. And there wouldn't be a coalition. We're forming a coalition with these people because we can agree on this one thing. And because you know what? They really are nice people who believe in the same things that we do. They just don't agree on the path. So we get hit from the left, the right, the middle. But the people that are organizing this coalition, we are close. We are friendly. We care about each other. We are strong and we are unfaltered. We know what our mission is. And it's a very noble mission. And I think this is actually historic. And that's why I always keep saying that I think this is just the beginning for the people involved in this coalition to maybe make the world a better place. As humbly as I can say it, because I have the ability to interact with these people. You know, I think we need to learn from this. You know, all this evil, those people are evil you know, most of the wars and the misunderstandings has to do with the fact that there are myths and misunderstandings and those are magnified and then people live in their echo chambers and then they demonize others because people demonize others when they can't explain things and they can't explain things because they didn't bother to read anything about it, you know? So, you know, hit me with it. You want to ask me about how libertarians make sure we have roads and we just don't go off cliffs? If you're if you're interested in tackling that subject, (laughs) no, because you know, like when you talk to a non-libertarian and they think you're kind of an anarchist, which is not really a bad thing, and then they go, "But how will you build the roads?" Right? But uh, my answer is really for them to listen to the road to serfdom because he talks about it. He said, "You know, we are not precluded from doing some things like." even having universal basic income, you know, fulfilling the basic needs of people. And then after that, we plan for competition. We don't central plan. So, of course, we would have roads. There are certain things that you have to plan for, but you always have to make sure that you're planning for a competitive process in it. So, yes, if we had a libertarian world, which I pray to God every day, because I am a Christian, (laughs) we would have roads. So... Yeah. Um, you know, you said that it's historic. And do you mean just in the sense of the, the different groups that are coming together to form this demonstration? Yes. I, by all means that I think this demonstration is important and the time is right. And I think we can make a big difference. And I think that, you know, it's about time the anti-war got revitalized and why not a group of people from across the spectrum, right? I mean, we've been so quiet, it's been scary. But the hope that it brings, 
because I get to interact with these people often. Yeah. It's profound. I, I was really happy to see when the, uh, the list of demands came out that there was something included on it about Julian Assange. Uh, and, and when I think about the persecution of um, journalism that is happening in the example of his case, it reminds me of, of what was happening with doctors, honestly, right? What was happening with doctors during COVID, what, what California tried to do, which I think just recently got uh, knocked down in the, in the uh, Supreme Court to punish doctors for doing their job basically. Right. And, and so I don't know, do you have comments on, on either that or, or even directly on the Julian Assange situation? Um, I agree wholeheartedly with what you said, and it's one of our demands and they're part of the coalition. Um, what happened to doctors is, is something that people should be really concerned about. Yeah. Um, and um, the idea that the government colluded with social media to prevent free speech, especially in the medical space, should really make people very concerned about whether or not they think they have any remote semblance of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And California is a disgusting example yeah. of interference with the sanctity of the doctor-patient relationship. We don't consult the CDC, again, which has no governing authority, on our day-to-day -day lives and practices as it relates to our interactions with patients. We have opinions. Doctors have opinions that differ all the time. That's why you go for second opinions. Right. Science doesn't ever have a state where it's settled. This is scientism. This is coercive, monopolistic government control of our bodies and health and wellness. And it's incredibly dangerous. Remember the story of Lysenko in Russia? He was the central planner and he had this idea that really wasn't very brilliant in my opinion, but he was in control of everything and it caused massive loss of life from his central planning scientism ideas, which is exactly what happened in this country because they squashed the voices of thousands of dissenting physicians. I signed the Great Barrington Declaration, however long ago that was, and they were literally censoring way more credentialed physicians who are in the space of treating COVID. Um, yeah. Absolutely should make everybody concerned. Everybody should get up, get active in local politics, run for office, support someone who's running for office, get involved in any political party, talk to your neighbors, get out of your houses, don't wear masks that don't work, refuse to take a test that is invalid. And don't take anything without knowing its risks and benefits. By all means, if you want to take it, take it. But don't let a physician give you something without providing informed consent, because that is standard of care. And these people were all complicit in one of the greatest crimes against humanity that has occurred in the history of the world. It's absolutely shameful. Yeah. Do you genuinely think that there, uh, there's going to be a day to come to roost with that, where people will actually see the repercussions of their actions here? or? Because I, I often wonder it. I mean, I, I imagine the the chilling effect that this whole thing with COVID has had on just the medical industry in general, like where that's going to line up if it's just going to be people just keep their head down forever and they just continue going with it. Or if, you know, you actually see that there's going to be some kind of major pushback um, against 
the way that this was handled. Yeah, there's major pushback. I've interacted with some of those physicians that are in leadership roles on our side of this movement. Um, they are even talking about the concepts of decentralization of the public health and medical research industry. You see, the problem is, is that the medical research industry is inundated with pharmaceutical influence. And there's also pervasive crony capitalism between the governmental agencies and revolving doors between leaders of the pharmaceutical industries and the leaders of the public health sectors. So, you know, I think we should defund the CDC, defund the World Health Organization. I think they have no authority over us and they don't deserve our money. And I think we need to go back to the drawing board. Medical research needs to be, the whole process needs to be completely changed. And there's a lot of physicians who know this and who know that what happened was wrong. And some of them were complicit and now we're waking up to it. But I do think that it's all going to come out. And I do think that people are going to be held accountable. And I do think that we all need to make sure that this never happens again, because what happened with COVID is just an example of what is even more problematic in this country. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely gave an opportunity for separating the wheat from the chaff, right. From, from finding out who's got a spine um, and who is 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 ready to just tear down their neighbors over differences of of perceptions um i don't know there's a lot of reconciling to do still right and we still see it when when it's like why don't we just all forget it ever happened like statements being made well remember so i don't begrudge anybody in the sense that people who didn't know what they didn't know and i don't begrudge anybody who got vaccinated who weren't you know, provided informed consent, that's not their fault. You have to remember that, you know, 70% of the news media content is pharmaceutical industry. So are they really going to do a hit piece on adverse events? Probably not because that's where their money comes from. So that needs to be completely removed as well. We have to repeal HR 5546. We have to repeal the PrEP Act. And we have to remember that all of these people are just our friends and neighbors and children who were afraid, Right. The real virus was fear. And the real problem had nothing to do with a medical condition. The real problem had to do with central planning, coercion, and force. Yeah. Do you know, has anybody ever um, made any moves on, on addressing HR 5546? So they just had discussion. I don't know if it's passed. Thomas Massing, uh, there was a bill about removing the federal mandates for healthcare workers because, you know, I'm medically exempt and have been forced to test every Monday for two years. So in order to continue to practice. Wow. Um, and what is that in threat over? Like you would just lose your medical license entirely if you just... Yeah. No, it's my hospital privileges and my wow. surgical center privileges, not my private office, not my partners, okay. because okay. there's a CMS mandate that requires that all healthcare workers are vaccinated or they lose their status as a participating provider in the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Right. So if none of us were vaccinated, they wouldn't be able to see Medicare patients or get paid for it. It all goes back to money, Right. So, and the healthcare industry is also inundated with 
quality measurement payments tied to various types of measurements, including vaccine percentages and things like that. So the hospital and the surgical centers I work at are required to report my negative COVID test every week to these federal agencies, which, you know, it's a complete invasion of my privacy, but I really am a good doctor in my specialty and I really like my patients. And so I almost didn't do it. I almost walked away. And if my medical exemption wasn't approved, I would have gotten a religious exemption and I would have walked away. I would have never gotten it. I didn't care, you know, but I have been COVID testing every weeks for two years and I only tested positive once and I just felt a little not well for a couple of days. And it was right after I was at a January protest, not the January protest, but it was that day. And I'm unflu vaccinated and un-COVID vaccinated and um, just felt a little under the weather for a couple of days. And I literally do um, every Monday. Wow. Or I can't do procedures at the hospital. It's not the private offices. It's the healthcare hospitals and surgical centers because I do spinal procedures in the OR under fluoroscopic guidance. Hmm. So that needs to, that's a whole other ridiculous thing that needs to be removed. My yeah. health status shouldn't be tied to the hospital's ability to receive payments from Medicare. I mean, do you see right. the pervasive government interference and healthcare and physicians' lives and healthcare workers. Just absolutely wild to me that, um, you know, you're a doctor of over 30 years, roughly, here, and that your own uh, opinion on what your own medical health is, is not good enough <laughs> in this well, sort of situation. It's, it's just uh, asinine. <laughs> well, but... But the hospital, if they lose all their Medicare payments and 50% of their revenue is Medicare patients, uh, you know, they would shut down, you know. Oh, I get it. Yeah. I mean, I don't agree with it. I it's mean, it's just liability, right? <laughs> well, no, it's money. They'd go out of yeah. business. If you are no longer participating for the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services and 50% of your patient population at your hospital is, is Medicare and Medicaid, then you're not going to be able to pay your bills as a hospital. I don't agree with it because it goes back to the governmental laws that somehow tie vaccination percentages of healthcare workers and inpatients, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Which is quality measurement payments, which made them give flu vaccines to people during COVID, which increases coronavirus susceptibility by 36%. Do you see? Yeah. Terrible. Right. Yeah, there's still so many little things like that going on that people don't think about. I mean, that didn't occur to me that that was happening um, when when vaccine mandates were first rolling out. I know people whose doctors medically advised them not to get the vaccine because of their other health issues. But then when it came time to put it on paper so that they could not lose their job, the doctors were too scared to sign the paperwork. Okay, can we talk about this? This yeah, three sure. three major points. First of all. The laws that established VAERS and the healthcare compensation mandate that doctors report the adverse reactions. That's one point on the other side of this. The other thing is, ethically, if you're a physician and you think that it's medically contraindicated for someone to not get a vaccine, you should be writing that medical exemption. The other thing is, if you have a patient that's vaccine injured, you are required to use the CPT coding documenting the vaccine reactions, and you're required by law to report it to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, and there's a whole system related to COVID vaccines. 
-hmm. Otherwise, you're in violation of the laws that started this whole process to remove product liability, which comes from the fact that the reasons why we have product liability is because the vaccine makers went to Congress because they were having so many adverse reactions that they were getting sued so much. That's why they made the law in the first and second place, which is even ridiculous in its own sense. And since that law was made, vaccines have quadrupled. Now, if a patient has a medical exemption and should have a medical exemption, doctors should write them. If a patient has a religious exemption, which is also part of our um, rights, they should be honored by the entities that it's submitted for. And the religious exemptions submitted to various entities really shouldn't be analyzed as to the validity of that particular person's religious exemption. It's just a request for a reasonable accommodation, meaning like for me, COVID testing every week, which I did comply with because I wanted to still be a doctor because I like what I do even though I was really mad about it and still am. So in my local hospital, they denied the overwhelming majority of medical and religious exemptions, which is a violation of a lot of issues because it's really about reasonable accommodation. And the truth is if you reasonably accommodate me with my medical exemption and you allow me to COVID test every week as a reasonable accommodation, then you should give those people those reasonable accommodation. It's not for you to judge. They were denying exemptions written by people and other doctors, but who has that authority to deny it? It's about a reasonable accommodation, which is discriminatory. So there are a whole bunch of lawsuits. And yes, I did help them get lawyers. Yeah, yes, no, I did, because so our group did help. Absolutely, we helped, yeah. because it was wrong. And the only reason, the funny thing is, I was so sick for so many years after my flu vaccine, I was a freaking flyer in the ER, that they all know how sick I was from the flu vaccine. So there was no way anybody could deny the fact that there's no way I'm able to get any vaccines, because there's something wrong with me genetically, because... And my son wound up getting the vaccine and getting an adverse reaction. It's a whole other story. So break my heart yeah unbelievable well we are coming up on the hour mark here so i do want to do our plugs before we get to the end of this um i'm going to throw this banner up here for the rage against the war machine if you wouldn't mind since you know what's going on with it uh give us a little bit about when and where and what we're going to do here Okay, so it's Rage Against the War Machine. It is February 19th at the Lincoln Memorial. Then we will walk to the White House and deliver the demands. There's going to be an after party. There's other activities planned. Go to rageagainstwar.com. If you can't come, donate. If you can't come, tell other people. But really, come to the event. And if you see me, I'll give you a hug. Okay, so everybody <laughs> should come because I think that this is the beginning of a wonderful relationship amongst just humans in the United States, realizing that really we really need to start fighting for what's important together. And then for Liberty Speaks, it's libertyspeaks.world. You can contact us if you want to reach me, send me an email. We really are working for allies and other coalitions to try and make this world a little bit of a better place with some basic ideas of liberty and Misesians. Yeah, and if you're uh, interested in anything that you've gone over tonight, we can always see you every Saturday at what, 8.30, that is? That's right, Freedom MD. It's uh, pinned to my Twiddle handle, which is at Irene Maverickakis, and then Liberty Speaks has a Twiddle ha Twitter handle, excuse me, at National Speaks. Um, 
And uh, that's me. You can direct message me. I'm pretty active on Twitter. I do some deep dives on the medical stuff often and uh, happy to talk to anybody. And again, none of this was medical advice. Well, you certainly got me roped. This was an interesting conversation, probably the best one I've had on this podcast yet. So, <laughs> ah, thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you, Dr. Mavrakakis. I really look forward to meeting you in a couple of weeks. I look forward to meeting you both. And thank you so much for the time and for your kindness interacting with me and your patience as I go down my medical rabbit holes. I really appreciate the ability to speak on this. Oh, yeah. we appreciate you. We appreciate the work you're doing and, and sticking your neck out, you know, risking the, the backlash that comes along with it sometimes. And I just want to sign off saying, don't forget to donate. If you can't come, give a little money. If everybody just gave a couple bucks. That would be great. It's at uh, givebutter.com slash rage against war. So anybody that can't make it, please donate. Right. And give us a message. The messages on the give butter are made me cry at least 10 times in the last few weeks. Just people really get that this is important. So leave us a message. Even if you donate five bucks, leave a message and tell us why you think this is important. Well, thanks for joining us tonight and we'll see you again next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank Thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 